Welcome to Scalable and Saleable, where we find out what great entrepreneurs have done to scale their businesses to millions. Stay right here for the next few minutes, leverage validated methodologies for growth, and create a way more scalable and a more sellable business for yourself. Let's get started. Thank you so much for being here. Would you mind telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what your business is? All right. My name is Will Seipel. And I started a company called WorthPoint about 12 years ago. And the concept of WorthPoint was everything has an economic value and an emotional value. And that WorthPoint was trying to provide transparency in the art, antique, and collectible market to help people understand what their items were and what they're worth, that it's a multi-trillion dollar a year market across the world so it's big and somebody needed to want to be the bloomberg of our space or the zillow of our space as we call it or yeah. ancestry.com of our space a lot of things yeah. of our space and mm -hmm. that's what we do amazing what do you attribute your growth since back at that starting point to it's a worldwide problem i mean ebay created an electronic marketplace that made these items fluid and you no longer had to go from antique market to antique store to flea market to find these things. They could all be bought and sold over line, online. And everybody focused on wanting to be part of the marketplace. And WorthPoint stayed focused on trying to be the data to supply the marketplace. So we really set out a niche to be different, but it was um, not a popular idea and we remained bootstrap funded. Uh, to this day, and uh, um, uh, but the idea caught on really quickly, and that we um, every day have about three hundred thousand people using our site. Wow, uh, I'm sure you've learned a lot along the way in in your path, um, and based off of all your past experiences, if you were coming into a brand new, totally different business. What do you think would be some of the first things that you would start to look into to start growing that business? Well, I laugh and say every rat or mouse is smarter going through the the mousetrap, finding the cheese the second time. And so uh, you certainly learn not to fall in love with your own ideas. And you can't be afraid to try things. Um, one of the big things I learned is that bringing people into a new company, you have to be careful because no matter what people say, they often have the idea they want to build their own company and their own ideas. And so you're building this brand new thing and somebody may come in and want to do it differently or want to, you know, they say, yes, 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 Will, but it's really no, no, no. And they're off building their own idea within your idea. And so you have to flush those things out very quickly. And we're lucky enough to have made it past the $10 million revenue point. So you learn your next big problem is how do you get people at a company that's starting to get to be big and complex to work together as a team? Right. Um, you've gone past the skill set that you need that um, is almost a little bit narcissist. narcissist and okay. that all, I'm going to take this, I'm going to do it well, I'm going to make it happen, I'm going to make it happen. You don't need a team um, with inner workings at a smaller company. 
But once you get up to $10 million, you get a shock that you need a different type of an employee, a different type of infrastructure. Right. That's the phase we've just gone through and finally made it to the other side. Yeah. And most companies won't make it to 10 million. And then most of those won't make it to 20 million. Most won't make it to 1 million. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, there, there's so many lessons to be learned. And, and they say that the rules of threes and tens, you know, like that, that, that the structure and the people, it, it like when you have three people, you just kind of, it's kind of what the one person did, but just with some help. And then you get to 10 people and now there's a little bit of, uh, of, you know, a chain and, and, and first direct reports starting, you know, and then, and then you get to 30 and then that 10 person thing didn't work. And then you get to a hundred people and, and each time and a lot of businesses just kind of keep grinding out and they've outgrown um, that, that structure. Um, what do you feel most small business owners do wrong? Uh, I, I think that you fall in, in love with things that are your idea and they have to work and you have to hire people that are smart to be around you and be tolerant of having people that are smart around you with good ideas that um, I, I want people that are smarter than me in their different areas um, that can need very little work. And I don't want to have to get into their, knickers about things and i'm good with numbers and that um i've been a coo of big companies so i'm lucky that i understand operations and i've actually i'm old enough that i used to work in a manufacturer if you go way back in my career mm -hmm. uh, i was an international harvester in manufacturing and so all that is necessary whether you're in the internet you better have a strong manufacturing background uh, because it's all about numbers and we can get into all the numbers that we have to monitor. And a lot of owners are afraid to get into that detail. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was going to say you're an outlier because it's, it's a very rare breed for a visionary entrepreneur to have that operations side. Um, very rare. Usually the, the, the founder entrepreneur visionary person sucks at, at the operations and, would never admit it, but they're not, you know, they're not really wired for it. Yeah, it's really important. And I was lucky I had um, my graduate degree was in statistics and operations research. Wow. And so I had a, um, a guy by the name of Edward Deming, who's the father, the whole father of six figure, um, you know, management. And he was my professor in grad school. De he was like the guy? It was your actual? Yeah. Holy yeah. crap. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable, you know, to think about it. And he yeah. was, um, he, he was so imposing when he would walk into the classroom, you know, in his rumpled gray slacks and everything. Um, but the Japanese had funded him, um, at our university. And so he had an endowed chair and that, um, I learned so much from that guy. Wow. That's incredible. To be able to take that. And if you look at how WorthPoint, we have about 4 billion, 5 billion web pages. And if you look at the stats about how we run this and how we're going from a long tail to more of a normal distribution and how we um, sculpt our SEO and our traffic, 
and then how we do a lot of the different things off of that, looking at funnel rates, conversion rates, and all these other things that you better have down cold uh, running your company to know um, when you're healthy and when you're not healthy. And we took our eye off the ball uh, with that as a company about a year ago at the time you could see a disturbance in the internet with um, Putin getting ready to go into Ukraine. Mm. And that, um, you know, we've, we've gotten that oomph back, um, but it took us almost a year and sure. really downsizing to get used to being um, a team that worked together past that 10 million inflection point we talked about. Mm-hmm. And so now, even in this tough time, we're close to being back at growing one and a half percent a month. Well, good for you. I mean, it's like so many businesses just as they were coming out of the pandemic, then, you know, you get you get Russia, Ukraine, you get recession, you get inflation, you get I mean, and it's not going to end. It's not like there won't be more obstacles coming our way from this point on. We're good to go. We can just start rubbing coconut oil on our chest and on a hammock um you know, you, my dogs would love that they love coconut oil but oh, okay good <laughs> um if you could go back in time to when you first started out and say one thing to younger you what would you say uh hell you know it's it's funny that when i turned 50 i just said i'm done i'm done working for the man and that I worked for, um, we had a wonderful special company in Houston called Landmark Graphics. And Landmark was a technology company, bar none, for the oil industry. We created three-dimensional subsurface drilling, very heavy data applications. And that it was a disaster when I got there. I'm a turnover uh, turnaround guy. Uh, that's my background. Mm. And that we turned that from a basket case software company that blew an IPO into what they call the strongest bank in Texas. Mm. And we did a lot of acquisitions. We got the company up to about a quarter of a billion dollars from about 20, 30 million when I went there over five years. Wow. And we got acquired by Dick Cheney and Halliburton. Oh, wow. And I call him Halliburton. <laughs> wow. And crazy. So what a ride. You got to tell me, I got to go work in that company. Really? <laughs> and that's when you said peace out, huh? And, and they uh, wanted me to be the CEO of Brown and Root, the large engineering firm. And it's like, I got to drive across Houston and work with a bunch of structural engineers. Uh -uh. Yeah. So I quit. I quit. Uh, they never, they had forgotten to get me to sign my contract. So uh, big mistake. I was the number two person at Landmark. Wow. And so um, I went to work of all alter ego people for the Soros group. So I went from Cheney to Soros. <laughs> My God. From Deming to Cheney to Soros, you've you've intertwined with some uh I guess iconic last names. And so we built uh with Soros, we built the largest 
reaching telecom company in Europe and the first fiber company, uh, Pan Fiber in Europe. We issued the first Euro bonds. We had a huge, uh, the number two phone company in Russia. Uh, we operated the GSM franchise in Ukraine. And we, I won multiple Wall Street Deal of the Year awards there. Wow. And uh, my wife at the, also had quadruplets. And so we, I decided I was, after leaving there four or five years later, um, that it really was time to go do something different. I was kind of, you know. Once the quadruplets came out, you decided, let's start a totally new career. Yeah. <laughs> When's the, the movie version come out? <laughs> and so we went through some deep shit at that time. I, um, we were taking the company public we had built after that. And we lost it in 2001. So it had about a $2 billion valuation. Lost it, went into bankruptcy. I was at the World uh, Trade Center Towers on 9-11. And I just basically said, F it. Uh, I'm going to start from scratch and start my own company. Wait, did you say you were in the building? I was down on the ground. And my dad warned me about not he warned me to get out of there. My dad was in the CIA and he, um, he retired with Vietnam. So he is a retired senior CIA person. And he immediately knew what happened and he knew the air would be bad. And I was talking to him on my cell phone that I didn't have cell phone issues that day. Uh, I this, had about this five. is on the, after the first tower was hit. Yeah. And I saw this plane hit the second day. The second time and after the first plane he said they made a big mistake and i said what's that he said they hit it lower from the other side both towers will come right down he said the updraft will be so intense and the way that building's built it the frame will melt and so i was about eight blocks away when it collapsed oh my god so after wow. all that my wife and I decided. Life that, is short. Yeah, we we wanted to get out of Northern Virginia. There was a time they had Malvo, the shooter that was shooting people out of his trunk. And so we just decided to come down to Atlanta. I did one more turnaround here, uh, which was part of Sprint. And that um, at that time, I started planning on how to uh, build my own company. And I just said, I want to get out of all this. And that, um, you know, about four years later, we took the plunge. And um, I had built a pretty good business selling on eBay. I've sold about 45,000 items on eBay and millions of dollars. And so just, that, uh, just like out of your house as a side thing. Yeah. Yeah. So um, WorthPoint was really in a need for better information for my reselling business on eBay. Wow, this is incredible. <laughs> paid for my five kids to go to college. Wow. And then you said I'm, you already had it going and it was you had a passion for it. And you said, you know what? I know a lot of stuff. I could apply it to this passion. And then it was like the win was being able to pay for your kids college through it to where now it's at the point yeah. of 10 million in, in a year in revenue. And, you know, I, I also that 
you knew people needed it. They needed better information. And that um, out of, I just, I, I mentioned to you before we started, I lost my house in Cape Coral. And the big idea we got out of every disaster, you can create an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so what I decided to do with that whole situation was WorthPoint's building, and we have it up in beta on the site, a virtual vault that you can put all your items in and your memories with that item, who you want to leave it to, where it is in your house, why is it special to you. You can put your receipts in with it. So you can document every item in your home and make sure you're properly insured. Mm. I would not have been insured for what happened in Florida. I'm lucky it's a water saturation issue when I finally had to move my stuff out and put it in storage uh, because everything was starting to get molded. Mm. But um, I have a record of everything in my house and what it is. And so when I get to reestablish it, I'll make sure I align my insurance policy uh, with what I have in my house because tragically very little would have been covered. I would have had I had a half a million dollar homeowner policy for contents, but the way the policy is written, it wouldn't have covered hardly anything in there. Right. Wow. I hear you because Hurricane Matthew, where I was living at the time, uh, I had original artwork destroyed like that I'd had for 25 years and did not have the system that you're talking about. Um, what a story! Unbelievable. Definitely, uh, was more to it than than what I knew from before we started this. Um, do you have any parting words of wisdom, advice for uh, entrepreneurs that are in the trenches, battling day to day? Some things I learned out of this is you have to have a passion. Very important. And why is that important? Because you got to love what you do to go in and do it every day. I mean, it, I never planned for this to be a 15-year trip. <laughs> you know, and if you're going to do something for 15 years, you better love it. Right? Yeah, that's so, right. I now that- have my kids working for me, believe it or not. Actually, two and a half. Uh, one runs our... Um, He's a rocket scientist. He runs all our intellectual property and visualization and AI. And he got his master's at Georgia Tech in that. And, and they uh, would say that it doesn't take a rocket scientist to do that, but it does. Does He's a rocket scientist. My father was a rocket scientist. So oh, my God. That's unbelievable. And uh, literally, he did rockets for NASA. And... Um, Then I have a daughter that does our Japanese content and a lot of accounting. And so we have a pretty deep Japanese site, but you you have to love what you do if you're doing this. Uh, You have to be willing. And something I learned from one of our board members, if you have a distraction in the company and somebody doesn't work, be ready just to get them out of there because you can't afford that distraction. Mm. You're not making pearls and you're not going to make a pearl out of that person from the irritation and the right. clan to get them out. Yeah. Yeah. Good advice. And that so, is. um, you know, because the time you lose with 
the distraction may be the time it takes to cost you your company. Wow. 